This past week, the Ultraman World Championships made the difficult decision to cancel the race that was scheduled for this November. Amid rising Delta COVID cases in Hawaii, the race did not feel that going forward this year would be safe, nor would the athletes be able to enjoy the full Ohana experience. So sadly, another race has been lost to the COVID-19 pandemic. Today's show will hopefully bring some excitement around racing, though, as I get to speak to people who are racing in Europe later this week. You're listening to 515, the Ultraman podcast, the show that invites you into the lives of people who make up the Ultra family. Here's your host for these conversations, co-race director of Ultraman Canada, Larry Ryan. Thank you, MJ. Today I'm joined by a trio of guests from the Czech Republic. I speak with two brothers who have created a 515 race in their home country and their friend who has the world record for the 515 distance, which was set on their course. The Atarzia brothers have competed at the World and European Rowing Championships as part of the Czech and Algerian rowing national teams before turning their athletic careers toward triathlon. Now they organize triathlon events, including a Sahara Desert Tri and the Ultra Czech 515. Zooming in from Ochukovica, welcome Jacob and Adam Atarzia. Hello, hello. Production note here for the podcast. Adam and Jacob were both sharing the same laptop for the interview, so it takes a second for the internal mic of their laptop to pick up who is speaking. So each time that they start speaking or change who is speaking, there is a small delay in the sound quality picking up. I hope that does not interfere with your listening pleasure today. They are joined by a man who has a prolific race resume, including 205 Ironman races. 47 of those were victories, and 81 of those were in the top 10, which is one of his world records. He's also been a top 10 finisher at challenge races 21 times, which is another of his records. He was the winner of Ultraman Florida in 2018, and the Ultra Check 515 in 2019, where he set the world record time. Then again, in 2020, he came back and broke his own record, setting a time of 20 hours and 56 minutes. He's joining us from Lisbotten, Norway, where he is preparing to compete in the Tor X-Try. Welcome to the show, Petter Vabruzek. Hi, nice meeting you. Thank you. Petter, since you are reading for this race in the beautiful country of Norway, uh, perhaps we'll start with you and hear a little bit about what it is that you're preparing for. If you can just tell us about the race, um, what are the distances, the format, what kind of terrain will you be traveling through over there, um, just so people get to know about this this race that you're doing. Yeah, Tor X-Try is uh, a part of the X-Try Worldwide Series. The first race of this format uh, is, of course, Norseman, which uh, now uh, allowed to use extra brand to other races all around the world. And the uh, main thing is always Ironman distance, and it has to have uh, unique qualities. That means a very cold swim with some currents, uh, quite a big elevation gain on the bike or on the run, tough conditions cold wind so uh it's uh usually seen as the next level to a uh, flat fast ironman racing mm -hmm. and and that first climb when you get out of the water i, I was looking at the profile it looks like quite a climb how many meters are you going up on that i guess in the first climb we go from zero to 930 meters above the sea level so it, it, it's quite a climb it's it's very photogenic hopefully it'll be sunny and we'll see a lot of nice views and there's one more thing about extra i didn't mention uh the usual format is or all it's always like that you are supported by your own crew 
So it's not like the eight stations every few kilometers as usual Ironman races, mm -hmm. but you have your own crew who takes care of you. And and who do you have crewing for you then? I have a, a local couple which will be supporting me because it's quite expensive to travel with your own crew around the world for these races. Mm -hmm. So And also you make new friends and, and meet new people. So uh, I usually do these races with a local crew. Excellent. Now, before you started triathlon, you were a competitive rower as well. Um, how high up did you get as a as a competitive rower? And um, and were you doing that also with your brother? Yeah, my younger brother Michael. He got quite far. He was actually the first Czech uh, world champion in rowing in a single scale lightweight. But uh, I uh, dis discovered triathlon before I actually made it to the senior category. So my rowing career ended up as a junior and I was on a national level. I didn't do a lot of international races. But then as, when I was 16, I discovered triathlon as a nice combination of these three sports, which I wasn't good at any of them. And uh, it just caught my heart. And in over the next two, three years, I gradually came, uh, started to less rowing and, and do more triathlons. Mm -hmm. and, and I said in the introduction um, that Jacob and Adam, you guys are also competitive rowers or were previously competitive rowers. Is this how you guys all met? Was it through the rowing community or was it through the triathlon community? Yeah, through uh, rowing community. Our grandfather was the coach of Peter. So Peter Noah's uh, yeah child so <laughs> and and you two got to quite a high level um you were at the national level rowing were you um what what happened that made you guys switch over to triathlon and how come we didn't see you at the the olympics here a few weeks ago yes yeah, so, so we were rowing in the lightweights like uh, peter brothers and uh, we were in the czech national team uh, Adam started with the junior uh, European Championships. Yeah, exactly. We finished uh, six, and then I moved to to lightweight senior category, and that's like where we started to row together. Uh, we row in the double skulls uh, lightweight. Mm -hmm. uh, we were at um, I think uh, three world championships. And then, uh, as every athlete, uh, we wanted to go to the Olympics. So uh, then uh, the Algerian Rowing Federation um, contacted us. And uh, so that was the, that was the, like where we start to row for uh, Algeria, uh, for our home country. Uh, and in the, in, the, yeah, in the meantime, we, we also had a lot of cyclism, a lot of swimming and, and running uh, during our training. So that's that's how we, we started to do like triathlon. And uh, as we were competing in rowing, we just started also to, to compete in, in, uh, in triathlon races. And that's how we, we ended in triathlon. Mm. So do you guys have dual nationalities then? Is that correct? Yeah, we exactly. Were, we were born in Algeria. Uh, our father is uh, from Algeria. Uh, our mother is Czech. So we have two nationalities, two passports. So that's why we started to row in the Czech national team and then in the Algerian national team. And, and what ultimately... Um, ended the rowing career then what how is it that you didn't continue on and, and try and make that olympic dream happen f frankly uh, it was politic politics yeah because uh, in fact in in rowing uh, you, you depend on the on the federation and uh, unfortunately the federation in algeria is more about politics than uh, than sports so that's why we tried to qualify to two Olympics, and then uh, yeah, it, it was also due to due to my health. Uh, yeah, I had some some problems, so so that's why also we we 
swept to to triathlon. Well, it, it's definitely led to a career for you guys that is led to something much bigger with this whole ultra check 515 now and and creating a, a race of the 515 level. Um, your race is coming up fairly soon. Um, tell us a little bit about your course. Tell us a little bit about the, what's unique in its design. I said previously that Petter has the world record at the 515 distance and he set that at your race. So what is it about the design that, that makes your race so fast? Uh, I think the, the location of the race, because uh, it all happened at, uh, at the rowing, uh, rowing channel, which was built for the, the world championship. I don't know now the year. So it is flat. It's, it's a loop of five. Uh, the swimming part, uh, it's, I believe, uh, yeah, five times two kilometers. So you swim two kilometers straight, then you turn and back so it, it is flat uh, loops the best on it it is that it's super safe and of course it is super easy for the logistics you don't need to to rent a car you don't need to look for for a, a canoe or your support uh, we recommend to have a support uh, if anything happened but it's not necessary as it is on the loop of five kilometers, you have each five kilometers, you have an ad station and a technical station, everything. So I think this is the, the most, the most, uh, the biggest advantage. Yeah. Another advantage is that uh, there's no wind, like a lot of trees around, around the, 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 the cycling course. And so you don't have a lot of wind there. So it's flat without wind. Um, no, so cars, no, no cars, no currents uh, in the swimming part. And... Yeah, if if I can add to something, uh, as a participant who did it twice, where is the wind? <laughs> there definitely a lot of wind on the course. But the <laughs> the main thing, uh, main thing is uh, you are basically going two and a half kilometers against the wind, and then you know that you are going another two and a half kilometers with the wind in your back. So it's not like when I did uh, ultra distance race in uh, Israel and we had the headwind for 276 kilometers with no respite. <laughs> so <clears throat> you may get lucky and had, had a tailwind all the way, but uh, we weren't lucky when we did it. And a lot of participants didn't make the cut because, you know, going 276 kilometers yeah. with a strong headwind is really tough. So uh, the thing uh, about the rowing channel in Rachitze, it's 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 a fair loop and you have either side wind or back wind or headwind and it just changes in a regular uh instance so you know you can rest your back if it's a strong head you know back wind when go into arrow position into the headwind so the times flows pretty quick and the the thing is uh it's the it's not only the i think the safest uh ultraman distance race out there because there's no traffic, no trucks, no no traffic lights, no pedestrians, but it's also the friendliest one because uh, you know you happen to meet all the other participants. You know some of them three times during the course of the day, and some of some others you can, you know, the fastest athletes can meet the slowest athletes like you know ten times through mm -hmm, the day. Right. So yeah. com compared to other ultraman distance races where you go from A to B it's uh, by far not that lonely you know the do all the crews are stationed at the same place so even for the crews the, the days goes by very fast because they talk to each other uh, we can help each other with you know their athletes if somebody has a puncture and his crew is not very technically efficient where there's 20 other crews ready to immediately help so it's it's not only uh, i would say fastest and friendliest but also uh, safest course and, and Peter, I think that uh, what, what is good for athletes is that uh, you see or meet the the like the support crew every five kilometers, yes. so they can cheer you like every ten minutes on your on the bike course. Yeah, without without looking for yeah. for a spot to safely park, you know, we're just sitting on, in their chairs and and greeting everybody and going, going by. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that sounds like a, a huge advantage to to the crews to be able to have that station. And, 
Yeah, and and you are. Uh, I I think the the other advantage is that you are sleeping like uh, just a few meters from the start, so you can like get up and go to the to the start line. Yeah, so yeah. it's all very. You, you don't contained. have to drive to the hotel. Yeah. You know, look for different hotels between different days. Mm-hmm. Everything you have a restaurant right by the course. You have the hotel right by the course, so it's very time efficient, especially mm-hmm. if. For people who do the course very short to 12 hours, that means a lot of a lot more time to rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have we have also um, a team. Uh, you can take a massage like f- five meters from the finish line. So uh, even during the race, even during the race. So really, you you have like everything in one place, just a few meters from from the course. It, it sounds like it would be a, a great ultra starter race because you don't have to worry about all the logistics of a bigger race but you could challenge the distances so it'd be a great place to come to as a as a a starter race to try and see how it all works exactly yeah people quite often say that they can't imagine uh racing around the loop like you know it's quite a lot of loops for (laughs) for the run uh you have something like 21 loops uh but uh i've never heard uh, that somebody who did the race would say that. Like we have all, all the people who did it the first year, almost all of them came the second year and they are applied for the third year in a row. So yeah, yeah. Uh, your own experience when you do the race, I was afraid as well of doing so many loops, mm-hmm. but uh, compared to A to B uh, races, this is, it just flows faster. You can keep your pace, like checking your lap, num- you know, lap splits. Mm-hmm. And you see how how well you are keeping up, not not losing your focus, and with all those participants and crews you are meeting every few minutes, it just keeps you in the race and in the mood to go. So uh, it's definitely, I would say, mentally easier to do ultraman in this scenario compared to going across Orlando in Florida or around the Hawaiian island of mm-hmm. uh, Hawaiian Big Island. Yeah. Um, we, we try also, or we have uh, an Ironman distance race on Saturday. So uh, I don't know, Peter, if, if I'm correct, but uh, like you are never alone on the course. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's, it's it's nice that yeah you see the Ironman race going going by at the same time mm-hmm. on on Saturday, and then on Sunday there is a marathon and half marathon run. So there's even more runners around the channel. And it, it just feels like you are in the race all the time. Yeah, that, that sounds like a, an awesome format. That sounds excellent. And and yeah, I can see where you would uh, originally think, oh, loops, that's going to be boring. But the way you guys are presenting it, it sounds really good no, and exciting okay. and brings even more excitement to the race. So that's excellent. Uh, so, so Petter, um, other than those races, races that I mentioned in the introduction, you've also done um, a number of of extreme races. Like you don't just do the regular Ironmans. You seem to seek out extreme type races. 100K Ultra in Antarctica in in a record time again. Uh, You've done a marathon there as well. And then you've also gone to the other side of the earth and you were the winner of the North Pole Marathon. You've gone to the desert and participated in the Marathon de Sab. for listeners that may not be aware of these types of races, can you just give us a quick rundown of what some of the challenges are racing in these extreme places and conditions? And and even as you said now in Norway, you're also going to be in a, a bit of an extreme condition. So tell us a little bit about what attracts you to these things and what are some of the challenges in racing these types of races? Uh, yeah, I think it's just a kind of a natural progression from being a lazy kid. When I was 10 years old, I, I was refusing even to walk. I was pretty much sitting in the books all day long. When I uh, when I was at, at 10 years old, uh, our parents decided to put me, my younger brother and my older brother into a rowing club in Otrokovice, where I was coached by uh, Adams and Jacob's uh, granddad and also their mother. And uh, after that, I found out that I can row for a few minutes. A little bit later on, I discovered triathlon and it feels completely unfeasible that I'll never be able to do all those three disciplines together. Over a couple of years, I found out I can do all those three disciplines together. 
And uh, over next few years, I progressed from the short distance to middle distance and then to Ironman distance. And uh, it was kind of that kind of evolution. You discover what you can do, what you never could imagine you would be able of doing. And so after I've done plenty of Ironman races and some tough races and extreme races, uh, I got naturally interested uh, if I can, you know, run a marathon in Antarctica or even 100K in Antarctica, or if I can run five days across uh, Sahara in Morocco. And uh, whenever there was a chance to try and go for it, I just immediately decided yeah, I'm going for it. I just have to push my limits. I, I have to find out if that's really feasible, if it's really possible to to finish such such a race. And uh, it just makes me feel alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, those extreme conditions that you're talking about are uh, definitely an, an added adventure all on itself. And then doing those races. It's incredible. Jacob and Adam, um, you guys are also in the desert triathlon business. Uh, before you started the Ultra Check, you organized tries in uh, Algeria. And you're, apparently your first attempt had a few struggles um, as far as making it run properly. Can you tell us about that first attempt at, uh, first attempt at organizing uh, 140.6 and a 70.3 that you did? Yeah, let's say a, f- a few. <laughs> uh, so the first triathlon was uh, not in the Sahara Desert. It was in Oran. It's mm-hmm. the second biggest city in Algeria. And it's on the Mediterranean coast. So this was our first triathlon uh, with Peter. Uh, l- let's say that... Uh, as, as, as I know, it's it's like it was the first triathlon in the whole North Africa. So you imagine that to, to, to show to the locals what this triathlon was like, uh, they, they asked us why anybody is cycling 180 kilometers, like why they don't take a car. So this was like the first questions at the beginning. And that's that, that was... Uh, how we know that it will be difficult and uh, so we had a big meeting before before the race with uh, all the, the the crew the the local uh, police officer the army and uh, so we explained to them what is triathlon what they need to do uh, tomorrow on the race day this everybody's said that uh, they understand that it, it's okay, it will be fine. <laughs> and <laughs> so we waked up at 6 a.m. on the race day and uh, like uh, nobody was there. Uh, we had a meeting at uh, 6.30. We were there, uh, me, my brother and uh, my mom or our mom and uh, one friend. And that's it. Oh my gosh! You know, they they didn't know w- what to do. So basically, basically we were uh, everywhere doing everything. You know, the they didn't know what is the transition zone. They didn't know uh, how will be the the swimming part. That it it will have some buoys uh, and everything. So yeah, we were everywhere doing everything, and uh, we were trying to do our best. And it was. For us, I think it was uh, an organizer's nightmare. <laughs> uh, yeah, but from, yeah, so- from the participant uh, point of view, the race went on. Everything went smooth. Like the transitions were working, swim course was working, mm-hmm. bike course was closed uh, with, and patrolled. Uh, running course was fine. Uh, I would say the only scary thing was uh, the local ch- children running into the road and asking for, you know, water bottles and, and stuff like that. So, uh, but that, that was a minor thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, but, I always... Peter, let's be, let's be honest. Uh, the, the start of the race was planned for at 7 a.m. And the real start time was, I think, at night, uh, 9 a.m. You, you see, I, I don't even remember that. I just remember the, when the race went on and it was great. <laughs> 
Like I'm not an early bird person, so 9 a.m. was was perfect for me. <laughs> perfect because we we weren't sleeping for one week, so <laughs> to, to to do this. <laughs> so the start was delayed about one two hours, I think. Yeah, one hour. One hour. One I think hour. One hour. Yeah. One hour. Um, they promised us to close the road. Uh, the road uh, wasn't closed. <laughs> um, not completely. Yeah, they, they blocked the traffic, uh, but there's few cars going by. Yeah, there was a uh, lot of improvisation, but I, I think at the end uh, everyone was was okay at the finish line. So uh, yeah. that was the most important for us that everyone is is safe. It's it's okay. It's okay in the finish line, and uh, I I think at the end it, yeah. it wasn't so 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 bad as we uh, as we accepted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was terrible for you as organizers, but for us as an as, as athletes doing the race, everything went smooth. Yeah, we all finished, and um, you know, no no. No bad memories about that about that race. Yeah, yeah, and and as organizers, obviously, yeah, you want everything to run as smoothly as possible, and and you want everything to be great. But the fact that that the athletes don't even recognize that there are problems going on show that you you are good organizers and are able to handle those things and and make sure that things happen properly. Even even yeah. if it starts late, you know, um, we had an Ultraman start late a couple of years ago as well, but. Um, it's it's all about just rolling with the punches when you're the organizer and making sure that the, the, the event does go off. So then for you guys, though, it was not only about bringing the triathletes to Algeria or Northern Africa. It was about educating the entire country or the people that are going to support you about what triathlon is. And, and that sounds like it's been a big part of what you guys do is that you're not only organizing races, but you are now educating athletes as to come and try triathlon and the people that you need to support it. And you're educating them as well. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think, I think, yes, we, we can say that because um, we, we were surprised that with, with this Oran triathlon, uh, we started something huge in Algeria. Uh, a lot of young people living uh, on the street uh, um, wanted to participate in the next editions. Uh, women in Algeria, which I think it's important, they saw that uh, we had some participants uh, from from Czech Republic, uh, uh, like I think four women, and they say, "Hey, why to be at home and cook to to my family? I I, I can do uh, I can do more than that." So when we did the second edition, we had a lot of people, a lot of women, a lot of. Uh, a lot of childrens yes, we we took the uh, <clears throat> the whole group of, of athletes and we went to to the to the desert for three days and i think there it it started everything actually because uh, i don't know but after you know after this uh, for us nightmare uh, i think we we weren't really ready to to organize another triathlon race in in these conditions but suddenly we were with all these athletes uh, at the Sahara, lying on, on the dune and and looking at the at the oasis, and we just thought, hey, you know, you have an oasis of 300, uh, 350 meters, so you can swim normally. You can swim in it uh, 3.8 kilometers. Uh, so yeah, we we asked them if. Uh, what do you think about the Ironman distance uh, at the Sahara Desert? Like you have an oasis, you can swim and just a few meters um, next to it, you, you have a perfect asphalt road and, and you know, it's desert, so you can run everywhere. And they said, yeah, yeah it definitely we are for it. Uh, it. It could be great. So a few, few months later, we organized the first uh, Sahara Ironman distance, I think. We can say it uh, there at Tahit in Algeria, and I think it was a big success. Uh, the organize, organization it was it was much better, and we just say okay, this is the way we we can do the Ironman distance here because it's something unique. It, it's something like uh, unusual and adventurous, and 
let's take the Oran Oran Triathlon as uh, as a way of education Algeria people in triathlon. So we did the, we decided to do a sprint and Olympic distance in Oran, not mm-hmm. the Ironman distance, and keep it for locals and and to show them you know you know to take the time to show everything because when you organize an, an Ironman distance, you don't have really a lot of time to to prepare everything. You know, I, when, when you have a sprint distance, you have the whole day or two days to explain everything, you know, how the, the transition work, uh, uh, what is the, the best way to start triathlon, uh, what to eat, uh, everything, uh, everything. And that's, that's how we started to educate people there. And I, I think it's, I don't know, every time when I, I'm there, I'm just looking and, and just saying to me, yeah, it, it is what we want to do. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we started to do even a race for children. Uh, so we are like uh, educating uh, from like from the beginning the the, the athletes. So even uh, the youngest was like six years old to participate. It's a small triathlon, like uh, I think 50 meters of swimming. Uh, one or two kilometers of cycling and uh, one kilometer of, of running. So mm-hmm. that's where we we started, and uh, and from there it, uh, it it began to be huge. Even uh, uh, they create created a triathlon federation. It was the first in the history of Algeria, uh, and uh, then the Oran city. Is will be hosting uh, in 2022 the Mediterranean game. It's like a small Olympics mm-hmm. for all the countries around the Mediterranean Sea. So, yeah, and we started this. <laughs> it's yeah. good. Yeah, it sounds amazing that, that you guys have been able to take your love of triathlon and, and then bring it to these people in, in Africa and from from a six-year-old doing a 50-meter swim to ultra check and swimming 10K and completing a 515, you guys are doing like the full service of educating people, giving them places to come along and pick up and just go all the way up the levels. And it's, it's just an amazing job that you guys are doing from what you're saying. And it's- I, 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 need, I need to say something because I'm really proud of it. Uh, one athlete who participates to the Oran Triathlon saw Peter racing the Ironman distance. And he said, in one year, I will be able to do the same. And so in one year, he participated to the Ironman in Vichy. And he finished in, I think, 16 hours. But he's the first Algerian to finish an, an Ironman race. So... That's that. That is amazing. Yeah. And and then I suspect he'll be the first one to finish an Ultraman race as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, being that your 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 new race, the the desert race, is in Algeria and in the Sahara, is it? And it's kind of close to the Morocco border. Is is that an area that's in dispute? Like, is this a safe place for people to travel to? Because um, we hear, you know, outside of that area, we hear a little bit about how there's, you know, things happening in the area where it's under dispute and and refugees that are like going into Spain and and all those things. So, how how safe is it for people to go to that area? So uh, I can say that Algeria is like one of the safest places in Africa. Uh, for security reasons, all the borders with, uh, with countries around, around Algeria are closed. And uh, as far as I know, like the, the last uh, uh, te- terrorist plot in Algeria was like in 1996 or seven. This was during the civil war. And from there, it, uh, it begins to be better and better every year. And now really it's the safest for me, uh, is the safest uh, country in, in Africa. 
you know, yes, you you can see police officers everywhere, uh, even the the army sometimes. But it it is not because it's not safe. It is as a precaution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as as a triple participant of races in Algeria, I can attest to that. Like uh, it was completely safe for. It, we even had uh, plenty of women traveling alone for the race, and none of them felt uh, any danger or or uncomfortable with the conditions. So you don't even have that uh, usual touristic. Uh, battle for you know the battle of locals for tourists like mm-hmm. come and buy my stuff and all that kind of stuff it's not present in Tagit. you're just you're just their host and nobody's taking advantage of you or trying to one of our athletes lost his bag with like three thousand euros and his camera his iphone on the market in in Tagit. And uh, he thought, I will never see it again. And when he comes uh, in the evening at the hotel, the bag was there. So With everything. With everything. With all the money, with his iPhone, with his cameras. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really safe. And the people, I, I never met s- such lovely people than, than in Algeria. I can say that. Here's another Steve King story. The next athlete I'm going to refer to is a gentleman who is a firefighter, a paramedic, and a coach. He was actually born in Motown, Detroit, and now lives in Portland, Oregon. He's got a great coach as well, or at least he used to have. I'm not sure if they're still together, but it was a Chris Boudreau from the Athletes Lounge there in uh, Portland. And uh, I know he's also worked with Chris Lieto. He's also worked with Chuck Kemeny, the original winner of uh, Ultraman Florida. And, of course, he became the race director of uh, Ultraman Florida after the uh, Livelys left. And, of course, I'm referring there to Trung and Sway Lively, who did such a wonderful job there. And uh, this gentleman has actually raced in Florida too, but uh, I would remind you that when I speak of the Athletes' Lounge, we've got other great athletes from there. Chris Bagg, who's been second with us here in Canada at uh, a challenge behind their very own Jeff Simons, but his wife, uh, Amy Van Tassel, also an Ultraman finisher, both in Canada, where she came second uh, overall, but she's also been a champion at the Ultraman distance in uh, uh, Israel, where she not only won the women, she beat all the men as well. So the gentleman I'm referring to, though, is also a great volunteer. He's taken on projects uh, on medical teams in places like Haiti. He's uh, represented different causes as well in Kenya, Romania, Africa. He's part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I first met him when he did the uh, Grand Columbian. That's in Grand Coulee in Washington State. He's had some great races. He's been third in the half Ironman in uh, Michigan. Uh, he was uh, uh, one of the top finishers, I believe, uh, top five in the Ocean Shores half Ironman in Seattle. He's been third in the Leadman, which was a 5K swim, 138-mile bike, and a 14-mile run. He's had uh, top 10 placing in his division at uh, Ironman distance as well. I believe 2012, he raced in Texas to a, what was a PR then of 9.51. But we've seen him do quite a few Ultraman, including uh, in 2013, when he placed fourth overall at 23.16.26. And at that point, he was just six seconds back of our third placer, who was the late great Australian, Craig Percival, a man who had been in the top three at the Ultraman Worlds as well. And This gentleman then went to the Big Island that same year, 2013, came fifth there at 25-22-34, raced in Florida in 2015, came second overall and set what was then an age group record of 24-45-45. I believe he lost 12 pounds by the end of that event as well. Had some salt issues. uh, I remember him referring to that. 2015, that was a, an incredible, incredible time. He, he did his fastest ever swim with a 2.48, finished the day with an 8.43.51 uh, after a 5.55 bike split on uh, day one. 
and had set himself a personal best in Hawaii for day one by 27 minutes and 28 seconds. However, day two, there were two serious, and I'm saying very serious crashes on the big island, and uh, this gentleman had one of those. But uh, just like the other person, Scott McDermott, this man came back to the sport, back to racing, and we saw him in Ultraman Florida in 2019, and he finished third overall then at 2409.51. He's also done the Epic Five. He did that in 2011. That is five Ironmen in five days on five islands. I'm sure his wife, Rhonda, um, was happy to see that one completed as well as the Ultraman races. She's been a mainstay for him and crew, to, as well as his son, Ian, his daughter, Evelyn, and there was something he said one time, I, I just really loved where, the way he said it, because that really does sum up what Ultraman is all about and how to learn to be uncomfortable at a comfortable level. The athlete I'm referring to, Mr. Christian Isaacson. Thanks, Steve, for that story. Uh, before the break, we were speaking with Jacob and Adam about the safety of the area in Algeria. So let's get back to that part of the interview. Yeah, so the the idea that then parts of Africa or even there uh, near Morocco that it might not be safe is completely untrue and that you are probably more safe than in a lot of places. So that's, that's good to know for the listener to, to be able to choose that race and, and feel fully comfortable in, in being able to go and do something like that. You know, for me, I... I um... I don't want to be rude, but I don't understand why a lot of people are going to South Africa and they don't want to go to Algeria. For me, Algeria is more safe than South Africa now, for mm -hmm. example. Yeah. And and Peter, maybe that's something that you can speak to as well, because you, you've also been to, to South Africa. We spoke about how you travel to all the corners of the world to race, and twice you've competed in the World Marathon Challenge in 2017 and 2019. And that challenge is to run seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's an amazing race. It's kind of a, a every runner's dream come true. Uh, I got invited to that race thanks to my uh, wins at Ironman Antarctica. Uh, sorry, marathon and ultra hundred k in Antarctica and and uh, North Pole marathon. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just an amazing experience for every runner who can endure seven marathons in seven days in various conditions. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's not easy. Uh, you start in Antarctica where you might have something like below minus 20 degrees. And then 13 hours later, we started another marathon in Cape Town when it was 35 plus degrees. So in, in roughly 17 hours, we had two marathons under our belt with the 57 degrees uh, uh, Celsius uh, temperature difference. When you when you go, go on to uh, Perth, Australia, Dubai uh, for Asia, another two hot races. The fifth one was uh, in Madrid in the midnight, two degrees Celsius, very cold, very cold wind in Jarama uh, circuit. And then uh, on to Santiago de Chile for Southern America and finally Miami in North America. And uh, when I did it in 2017, I thought that's, that's it. It was very hard. It, it took quite some time to recover from that, especially because you don't get to lay in the bed for maybe 10 days prior to race and right after, and you either sit or run. Mm -hmm. So my hamstrings were really crashed from it for several months afterwards, but I loved the experience. So uh, when I got invited two years later again, uh, I said home that I'll, I won't go there again because uh, it just takes more than a week. That's the maximum I ever traveled out of my family for a week. So And this was longer trip. And uh, so I asked if my son can join me. Mm -hmm. And uh, to my big surprise, the uh, invitation came for both of us. So in 2019, the, another bigger dream came true for me. And I was flying to Cape Town with my son. Uh, he was uh, 12, 20 years, uh, 19 years old at that time. And he was running seven half marathons. 
at, in seven days and seven continents. And the funny thing is that the start uh, of the whole World Marathon Challenge was happening in Cape Town or the pre-race briefings. Actually, we started the first marathon in Antarctica. Uh, and uh, the very same place, 19 years ago, uh, when my Philip was several months old, I was winning my first big Ironman in Cape Town, first edition of Ironman South Africa before it moved uh, after a couple of years to Port Elizabeth. So uh, coming to the same place where, which has a huge place in my heart, my mm -hmm. first Ironman race I ever won with my son at that time, already 19 years old and running there together another big race. It was just something uh, unimaginable. So we we had that unique experience to go through that uh, week of racing together, and just one maybe one funny thing I've just were talking about it to to my friends here in Norway at Torex Tri. Uh, when I asked my wife if uh, Philip, my son, can join me for the World Marathon Challenge, she was like, "No way! He he would never survive that. You know, seven half marathons, freezing, uh, very hot." No way. So it took me a few days to, to, you know, negotiate. And finally she said, okay, but he has to be healthy, no injuries, fresh. So we made a deal that she's coming for the fifth marathon to Madrid. She would fly with my daughter to see us, to meet us in Madrid, which is the closest place from Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is it was our fifth marathon after Antarctica, Cape Town, uh, Perth, and Dubai, and we came in quite fresh, both of us. While my wife and my daughter came with uh, some kind of flu and oh, no. and really sick <laughs> from back home, so so it was us who was healthy and and them who was sick. So uh, I wasn't Philip wasn't taken home, and we could have finished the the rest of the World Marathon Challenge together. <laughs> And, and is, is Philip following in your footsteps? Is he a triathlete as well? Uh, he's not following in my footsteps. He's, uh, first of all, uh, app, apps developer and programmer mm -hmm. and uh, big into coding. So uh, for him not to spend the whole day in front of the computer, it's, it's a good thing that he's a runner. Mm -hmm. But since he was six years old, everybody was asking me this question, when my son will be following my steps. And uh, I said, when he decides to, and it took him uh, up when he was 15 years old, He that was the first time he came to me and said, Dad, I want to be a runner. And so he started running only when he was 15 because he wanted to. I was mm -hmm. far away from pushing him to do that. Yeah. So it took him some time, but uh, my younger kid, my, my daughter, which is 10 now, uh, she saw us running together with Philip since she was born. Mm -hmm. And that's a different story. She wants to do all the sports there are on the planet every day. So that's, that's a different story. She right. didn't took that much time. You just have to figure out which one she enjoys the most then. Yeah, at, at this time, it's most likely it'll be triathlon because mm -hmm. it already combines three different sports and she kind of found love in it as the same way I did you know, switching from rowing, which is also, you know, a little bit of running, a little bit of cycling, a little bit of, uh, you know, weightlifting, mm -hmm. but uh, doing three different sports inside the competition itself. It's, it's just exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and with Philip, we also did, uh, uh, quite a few, uh, swim run races. So it's, it's nice to, to be, in, and also some, uh, mountain runs done in a pairs. So I have a lot of, nice experience with him mm -hmm. right now right now my biggest challenge is to keep you know strong and active enough to be able to do similar races with my smaller uh daughter Vera when right. she's up to do it yeah well that, that gives you a good goal to stay in shape then yeah um with that um with the world challenge uh world marathon challenge that seems like a lot of organizing to make sure that that works from one race to the next and everything's timed out properly. Is that all taken care of by the race organizers? Do they like charter you from place to place or are you going commercial flights and are you counting on that being at the right time yeah. in order to get to the next race? How does that work? 
Yeah, it's it's all organized by Richard Donovan, who is a famous runner himself for his across the continents runs. He he actually is the first winner of his first ever winner of uh, Antarctica Marathon, where he uh, where he's beaten uh, everyone in in the first edition. And now he's uh, made business of it and organizes both uh, both poles marathons and also uh, World Marathon Challenge plus some other uh, races. And he, being uh, excellent runner himself and doing plenty of uh, racing himself, knows exactly what to do. So uh, everything's taken care of completely. Your mm-hmm. your only your only task is to be uh, to arrive to Cape Town in time for the briefings. Then you have, you know, everything scheduled, all, all advice provided, what what equipment to have, uh, all the transfers. The plane is rented for for all the transfers. So all you have to do is to come to Cape Town and then uh, come back home from Miami. That's that's that takes a lot of pressure off of getting through that. Then that's an excellent way of doing it. Yeah, everybody was exciting on that trip, even though with every. Every other, every additional marathon ran. Everybody was more and more tired. Mm. The excitement never left left us. Yeah, it's it's just a lifetime trip. Yeah, it sounds amazing. With with all the races that you've done, I'm, I'm assuming they can't all have been been great experiences for you. That that someday you might have showed up where you you just weren't ready to run or swim or bike or whatever it was. Um, can you can you share some of your your least productive experiences? Give us a couple of your bad stories so that we don't think that you're just this world record holder in all of these different events. Like, <laughs> no, there must be days. Give give us a couple of of the bad times so that the people yeah, can relate. Of course, there's plenty of races where I either lost my way. Like uh, recently, I was doing Grizzlyman race, which is. Uh, Part of uh, which is not part of the extra world series, but it's the same format. You have uh, 3.8 swim, uh, 209 kilometers of bike with mm, 4,200 meters elevation gain, and then uh, 2,500 meters elevation gain over a marathon course. Beautiful race in in uh, Moravia in Czech Republic. And I was uh, after the bike, the first big hill. I was already leading the race by eight minutes, gaining gaining on everyone, and my uh, watch died with GPX. So I had to I had to ask uh, at the transition area what uh, touristic markings to follow. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit unprepared. I was just you know prepared to follow my GPX and didn't expect it will die on me. Mm-hmm. So uh, they told me to go to take the blue marking up the hill, and then yellow marking down the hill which I did. And then I started to descend from the other side of the mountain, very steep and very rough terrain. Uh, some two and a half hours later, I got a, a message from the race organizer who saw my uh, trekking, but I'm on the other, on the wrong side of the mountain. <laughs> so the, the yellow marking was actually going two different ways from the top, which I didn't know. And from eight minute lead, I was down to 42 minutes uh, in areas around 10th place when I got back to the same uh, same hill. Oh. And I only made it to 17 minutes from the leader with 10 Ks to go, which wasn't enough. So similar story of losing a race like this happened to me few more times. Uh, once it was even uh, that somebody tried to sabotage the race and changed the marking oh. so we it was like a czech national championship in ultra running 100ks 5500 meters elevation gain uh, overnight race you started in the evening for the slower people to make it before the next night mm-hmm. and uh, somebody changed the marking across the hill so we missed the one of the checkpoints with my partner once again, from the first place going to 400th place, maybe <laughs> went back to the back to the top, uh, losing 400 positions, and uh, 13 hours later finishing the race uh, second by three minutes <laughs> after passing 399 pairs again. So uh, these are very painful experiences, and uh, when maybe funny one from Ironman Utah, I don't know if it was like 10 years ago. Uh, I was one of the first guys who had the electronic shifting on the on the bike, uh, 
mm-hmm. with the outside battery, the first generation. So when I was checking in my bike, the ra- uh, actually the day before the race, I had a, a meeting with local uh, Ironman club. And there was like 80 people racing the Ironman the next day. And I was giving them my wisdom about, you know, the hundreds plus races, Ironman distance races I've already covered by that time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I said is uh, when they asked me about all the different troubles and, and troublemaking, I, I told them uh, the, the good thing about having over 100 Ironman races behind you is everything which can possibly happen to you already happened. And you are ready to solve everything immediately. And when I was checking in the bike a few hours later, and the professional next to me, also with electronic shifting, uh, he told me that it's it's uh, very often getting stalled, the battery, overnight from the transition area. Oh. So I should take it down and bring it in the morning, which I did. Thanked him for the advice. And as I forget everything all the time, I didn't uh, remember that the, the next morning. So after swimming, nice swim for me. It was very cold in at Ironman Utah and very tough and hilly course. I started to descend on my bike from the transition area down the long hill. And then I tried to switch the gears on the bottom of the hill. I found out there's no switching and no battery. And uh, just with the fresh memory that everything has to be solved quickly, as I said, to all the other athletes, I immediately turned my bike, pushed the very hard uh, gear up the hill all the way to the transition area, ran in and asked the speaker of the race to call me the guy from the truck with all the dry bags, you know. So Mm -hmm. he called the guy, he was right there by the truck. I actually climbed inside the truck in my cycling shoes crawled across 2,200 bags to to the 0 to 50 box with my backpack, pre-race backpack. And only when I opened my pre-race backpack and the battery wasn't there, I realized that it's actually sitting on my bars with my energy bars on the bike, which I just came (laughs) on back to the transition area. Because in the evening... It came to my mind that I would definitely forget it in, in the morning. So I, uh, to save time in transition area, I put all the energy bars into a transparent plastic bo- uh, bag and taped it to my aero bars. Then after I start cycling, put my shoes on, I put the bars into my pockets and discharge the empty bag at the train, uh, at the aid station. And in the middle of those uh, energy bars, there was the battery. So all the time when I was climbing back to the transition area, the battery was actually in my view. And oh I forgot God. I put it in there the evening before. I just immediately immediately started to solve it by coming back to the transition area. Oh. And so, uh, and the story continues. I climbed out of the truck. It was like 200 people waiting for me if I come with the battery or not. And I, of course, I didn't have it. So I took another energy bar from the backpack, not to look so stupid, and held the energy bar in my palm and said, I have the battery. <laughs> and ran, <laughs> ran uh, with big applause. I ran to my bike, <laughs> cycled away with the energy bar, and, and then continued the race. So I think I lost like 10, 10 11 minutes by doing this. And still finished eighth in the race on some decent <laughs> prize money, but without this uh, this uh, transition stuff, I would probably end up second or third in the race. So mm. some of the mistakes are pretty costly, and I, there's plenty plenty more. But that would need <laughs> several more podcasts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great one. That's that's an amazing story. I uh, I don't think I've heard anything like that before. Um, yeah, it's quite unique. <laughs> and. And from all that you've learned, you've also now started coaching a few athletes as well. Um, I'm assuming they hear these great stories. And um, is there anybody right now that you want to give a shout out to in your in your athlete group? Uh, maybe give them props for something that they've accomplished recently or or boost them up for something that they have coming up? Yeah, once again, it would take a long time if I if I speak to everyone in, in my group. It's it's not a lot of people. It's it's only seven or eight mm-hmm. at a time. 
because uh, I do their plans and everything just based on their space, their possibilities and their goals. It's it's not nothing like a prepared plan. I just build it into their times and, and goals, of course. But I've, I've had pretty successful athletes like uh, Michael Schubert, who is holding the best time at Epic Five in Hawaii. He finished all five Ironman uh, races in five days on five different Hawaiian islands in uh, uh, average time of 12 hours, three minutes, which is way faster than anyone else in the history of the race. And, and the funny thing is you would never guess he might be that fast when you see him. So it's, he's uh, even older than me. So uh, heads off to him. And uh, I have plenty of other uh, very successful athletes, uh, but it would take a long time to, mm. to brag about them. So okay. I wish them good luck and, and uh, do my best to help them. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Well, um, I guess the the thing that we should probably talk about is the ultra check race that's coming up uh, very shortly. And, and maybe some of your athletes are going to be challenging you in that race. Um, obviously, Peter, you're you're going to be the favorite to win this race as the record holder and, and knowing how to do that race so well. But uh, Adam, Jacob, are there other athletes in the field this year? that we should be looking out for? Um, who, who do you think are going to be the top swimmers, top bikers, top runners, and overall, um, who, who are some people coming in this year that you're excited to watch and race? Okay, so, so for me, I think like the fastest swimmer will be Tomasz Racek. Uh, this is for the swimming part. I'm looking forward to, his name is Matthew Smith. He's from Great Britain. He has a really fast uh, personal best on the Ironman distance. So I think uh, it, it, it will be his first Ultraman. But uh, as I saw on his Facebook and Instagram, he's training super hard. So for me, I think uh, mm -hmm. Pe Petr, Petr will have to, to deal with him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. not only him, not only him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the field is always strong and... The thing is about Ultraman, and it, it's uh, the truth for every other race over the distance I did, uh, there's always someone uh, who surprises you, who you don't count on before the race, and then suddenly is right right on your back or even passing you. So like last year, uh, I got beaten by the second day on the bike uh, by the guy who lost quite a lot to me the year before. He just worked so hard and, and moved his level uh, so far that uh, you 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 have to be ready for both surprises all the time. Mm -hmm. You are yeah, the goal and everybody's trying to catch you. Yeah, But Peter, I, I think uh, you want to break the world record, your own, correct? <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> of course, records are here to be broken. Yeah, and, and I, fingers. you know. Yeah, the question is uh, how much, how more, how much, many, you know, how many more years I'll be able to break any records. So I'm I'm not the youngest, so uh, it should very early be uh, younger people breaking my records. So let's see if I can you move know, it for, a little bit further. People, for older people, there are some uh, I heard e-bikes or something like that. E-bikes, yeah, e-bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the thing is, those e-bikes are not going that fast. <laughs> well help you help you not to stop but uh so long. Usual, yeah if if you keep the law they shouldn't be going over 40 k's an hour yeah. and and from what we already learned about your mistakes a lot of them seem to be due to technology so maybe you want to stay away from the from the e yeah 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 i might i might lose the power then <laughs> well uh guys this is uh this has been a great uh opportunity to um meet you guys and and find out about these races that you guys are doing um when when exactly should we be looking for the ultra check 515 what are the dates you're running the ultra check will begin on friday the 3rd september and finished on the 5th so one week after this post this podcast so people have time to uh, find your find your website and and check in on who's racing and and follow along. That'll be great. Or do you have yeah. ways for people to follow along in in a live format, or is it going to be just like daily updates? Yeah, you can you can check our Facebook and uh, Instagram. It will be there. 
and yeah, this is for the live streaming. Okay, and and when's your next Sahara race? So it will be on the twenty-one uh, February next year. I hope so. Hope so. Thanks for joining me today, guys, on the podcast, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing if uh, Peter can break another record. Thank yeah, you. he will. Thank you, Larry. Thank you very much. I'll do my best. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> A quick update since recording this interview. Petter finished first at the Tour X-Try race in a time of 11.18.35, with second place almost a full 20 minutes behind him. Congratulations, Petter. Hey, if you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate it if you'd rate and review the show while you're there. Drop the names of the people you think we should interview and we'll get in touch with them and make that happen. Thank you for listening to 515, the Ultraman podcast, a production of 55 Enterprises brought to you by Ultraman Canada. Now really, go, go subscribe now before you forget. <laughs>